Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello, and welcome to the Dialogic Disciple Podcast with Nick and James, a production of Northside Church. Nick and I enjoy talking about God, the Bible, and what our grandparents called the house of God, the church. And we like to invite others to join us in that conversation. This week, we sat down with Brandy Diamond, the director of children's ministry at Northside Church, to discuss the church, children, and the events of the world around us. That conversation went so well, we had to break it into two parts. This is the first part. Thanks for being here with us today, Brandy, and um, we were excited to have you here. This is something that we wanted to have you on during our, our Linton podcast, and it didn't re- work out for us, but we are excited to have you here today. Nick, how are you doing? Good to see you, I'm too. I'm doing good. I yeah. got a haircut. You did. I was thinking about shaving my head again, actually. <laughs> uh, Please don't. I know, but, you know. Struggle with I'm like the present. I'm not going to be in front of people for a while. They're not, it's not um, going to matter. Brandy, how are you doing? How is uh, how's your family, and uh, how are you doing during the the uh, coronavirus and everything else? How's it going? Again, and thank you. Thanks for letting me be part of things today. I'm excited about talking through some things with you guys and um, with everybody who's listening. Um, we're doing okay. Uh, my daughter is a senior this year, and graduations look weird, and now college looks weird, and my son wants to go back to college, and that looks weird, and so we're trying to figure out a lot of different pieces and parts of that, but. I think we've gone, for me personally, I've gone from being super anxious to being accepting, and now I'm, I'm a little bit back to anxious again as we look toward the fall. Yeah. You know, it's looking like it's not going to be as normal as we were sort of hoping by then, but so day to day. All right, and, and your, uh, your son's in college at NYU, is that correct? Uh, he is. He's a rising junior at NYU, so uh, the epicenter of all this when it started, and now the lowest... Um, rate on reinfection in the nation right now is new york That's what i heard it's impressive mm-hmm. considering where they started off from yeah um all right well today i want to i want to talk about something that uh that we say we always want to talk about but we seem to never have time to talk about uh in in our church conversations and and that's uh children's ministry um and brandy that's the reason why we invited you to come on today you uh, are the children's minister at Northside united methodist church obviously you run a great program called the foundation there. And, uh, I want to start by, um, getting to know you a little better and, and, and find out, um, a little bit where your passion and experience is as far as children's ministry goes. And then we'll go from there, but can you tell us a little bit about, uh, just tell us why you're a children's minister and why you, uh, are into this, this particular field that, um, not everybody feels called to. Yeah, I'd be delighted to. So it is really interesting how I ended up at Northside and also how I ended up in children's ministries. Um, I went to seminary and graduated from there in 1998. And I, or was it 99? Sorry. It seems like it was no <laughs> long ago. I think it was maybe Did 99. you go to Candler? Is it Candler? Uh, no, to? I went to the McAfee School of Theology at Mercer okay. University and was part of the first class to graduate from there. So it was uh, it's sort of the best and the worst time of my life. We were sort of selling the ship as we were building it, and it was it had some ups and downs, but learned a lot there and really grateful for that opportunity. 
uh, difficult time in life. I lost my first pregnancy, my first child, when I was in the middle of my seminary experience, and that was a very difficult time, both as you're working through theological values and different pieces, and also as, you know, just as a parent going through that loss. So that definitely impacted who I am as a person and as a parent as well. So I really, my most formal training was in adult education, like you actually, James. So I did a lot of adult education when my kids were small and wrote a lot of my own curriculum and was a stay-at-home mom for a long time. And then I had actually been a part of the Northside community in a couple of different ways. Uh, John, my husband, is a Chick-fil-A operator and had done a ton of connections. In fact, I remember coming by and bringing some BBS certificates to Catherine Booth Olson at one point for um, a little Chick-fil-A ice cream at the end of BBS. And so we knew a good many people there. And then my daughter went to preschool at Northside Methodist Preschool for her last two years going in before she went into kindergarten. And so loved being part of that community and got to know staff members and Dr. Gill and um, Bailey's had open heart surgery. So Dr. Gill was a friend to us during that time in particular for us, even though we were members of another church. So when Bailey was in fourth, no fifth grade, we were invited to be part of the fourth and fifth grade program at Northside. And through a series of events, that was a lot of fun for us and a great opportunity to sort of develop some new relationships. And when a position came open, I knew some other people on staff and had an opportunity to come there. So a couple of things together is one, my background has been in curriculum and in adult education, but also for a long time as a stay at home mom, I was able to do so much with kids and through both volunteering and huge kind of pieces with that, that this was a really natural fit and I enjoyed it. Back many years ago, I did youth ministry and loved that too but I've always enjoyed doing a little something different than my kids were doing. And so my kids, it is really fun for me now to be around the preschoolers and elementary school children because I've gone through that phase in my life and it's fun to revisit, but I can give my own kids a little something different. So it's a great time in my life to do children's ministries. How long have you been at Northside now? Almost four years, one year part-time and in November we'll have finished my third year as director. Um, I'm guessing that your background in um, adult education probably prepares you to engage parents in a way that maybe they're not often engaged um, from a discipleship perspective. I think that's true. And one thing that we talk about a lot on our team is children's ministry is very unique because children are not concrete. They are concrete thinkers. And yet every curriculum that you use for children's ministries is all abstract thinking. It's all metaphorical thinking because this is why I'm terrible with children, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) it's hard because, you know, we play games and we do crafts and we paint things and then the kids leave and they don't know what the Bible story was or what the connection was. And so we noticed that some time ago and we try really hard at the end of each of our lessons to say, so why did we paint today? What was that story about? to engage our families with it too. But something unique about children's ministries is so many times, particularly with adults who have been in the church for a long time, many of them feel like when you ask them some of their fondest memories, they will talk about being in children's ministries, and particularly about vacation Bible school. And what I've come to realize is a lot of people, and I mean this very kindly, are on a children's ministries level, 
of where they feel their confidence with those Bible stories are. And sometimes they get very intimidated to teach for us or to come maybe your classes, James, because they feel like they need to know more than they really need to. And we want to invite them to learn along with, you know, be and with their kids. And that's okay. You don't have to know it all. I'm extremely intrigued by this. Um, okay. This idea that children being concrete thinkers, but all the curriculum being based in abstract thought, and then how difficult it is to learn the Bible at a young age and how how you need to be exposed to it in order to develop the kind of abstract thinking you need to understand it. Um, that continuing to study the Bible as you age is necessary in order for it to come together because of how you're, you process that information. Oh my God. That's just. Yeah. Yeah. Well, some of you, I mean, you guys may remember a couple years ago, Alan did a video and it was so funny and it was like all these Bible stories and a lot of us on church staff played different roles in that. And I remember talking to Alan afterward and he, he was kind of surprised a lot of people didn't laugh in the video. And some of the realization was, you know, it moved really quickly, but that maybe people didn't all get the Bible stories or what was funny about them because they, they didn't know them quite as well. And so one book I feel like I've mentioned every time I've ever taught a class is a book called The Harlot by the Side of the Road by Jonathan Kirsch. And Jonathan Kirsch is a Jewish author. He wrote for the LA Times, I believe. I'd have to double check that. But he wrote this book because when his children were small, he loved to read with them. And they had finished up whatever they were reading last and they decided they were going to read the Bible because that's a good family read, right? And he said they got about three chapters in and he paused, he hesitated. And his son was just old enough to say, what are you skipping? And Jonathan Kirsch thought, ooh, how long has this been going on with priests and pastors, you know, and rabbis through the years where we had to clean things up a little bit because we had children in the audience or it was a dainty subject that maybe we couldn't talk to adults about. And so we in children's ministries have to really balance how we talk about different things that, you know, based on what the Bible really does say or what we've assumed, we have to be careful about what we skip. Because as adults, when people come back to those stories, it can be really painful to think, why didn't anybody teach me this in church? So we're in that unique position of sharing those stories at an age appropriate level, but inviting people to come back and really wrap their head around those stories that they can talk about as an adult. How you balance that uh, at Northside? It's not easy to do. And one thing that we've done as our team that we did kind of like go a little bit in the spring, <laughs> the spring we had winter, when was it, what day is it? Um, because of the subject matter we were talking about had changed a little bit. But over the last two years, we've had a monthly exegetical meeting for our team where we preloaded the next month of Bible stories. And we will do like a pretty in-depth Bible study of those stories. So our team understands the context of that. So when they do interact with adults, parents, and leaders, and also with kids, they feel better informed to answer questions. And, and we even say in those meetings, what we're talking about, you probably cannot teach kids. But you need to understand. So you're setting up those pieces for kids and for their families. So that's one piece of how we manage that 
Um, I will tell you a funny story, and this is going to sound a little off color, but it, it actually, you'll know when I say it, it is an off color. But a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago, we did the story of uh, Rahab. And it actually does say in the Bible, she's a prostitute, which some stories don't say that. And so we were like, how do we teach the story to kids? And so, you know, we talked to Dr. Bill, like, hey, do you have insider things you want us to say or not say? We, we considered a lot of sources. We talked through this as a team. So we were very prepared to answer these questions and how to direct leaders. And we had notes to our leaders that we can, you know, not one person asked us a question about it. But what completely leveled the kids is the word shittite was in it. And that they thought that was hysterical. Like one little guy, I will keep his name to myself. I thought he was going to fall out of his chair. He thought that was hysterical. And I could not, we just all got tickled by that point. <laughs> so sometimes the things you're most worried about too, just like in parenting, your kids will ask you a question and you may go down a really long road when they just wanted a, a swift answer. So some of that is how we balance that out too. I remember the first time you told me that you were going to do that, that, that kind of parent, or not parent, but a leader exegetical uh, meeting where you're going to sit down. With For the, the non-seminary trained, what's exegetical? Uh, it, it means the interpretation. It means trying to get the meaning out of the text. What does the text mean? Um, okay. And so when you told me that you were going to do that, um, I thought that was a fantastic idea. Uh, okay. I, think, I think that's something that uh, youth ministers could do too. I think it's something that... Um, that could be taken to another level for even like, um, man, even, even for just disciple leaders in the church in general, like to sit down, if, if we had, especially if we had um, some kind of shared, like if we were all doing the same passages together, you know, if it, we were teaching our kids the same thing, we were teaching our adults at some level, at some point somewhere uh, to sit down together and, and to work, walk through and work through a text together. Uh, I think that's just fantastic. I think that's a great thing that you're doing. And then that does get really interesting because of how you, how you develop that across the whole church, but this is what's important for the kids to know. And this is what's important for the teenagers to know. And this is what's important for the adults to learn. Uh, that would be, that'd be really interesting to see that take shape. Yeah. It's, it's very true. And I would say another aspect of that is the, talking about the questions that children have for us. I think it does intimidate a lot of people when they think like, even as volunteers for us, we've had a much better response to saying who wants to do a craft and he wants to play a game and he wants to lead a video, you know, these, you know, Bible kitchen and the fun things that we have, then he wants to teach the lesson. And a lot of times it's because people will say to us, they're afraid of the questions kids ask. Now I've had two parents that have reached out to me recently. whose kids ask incredibly good questions, especially for their ages. And the questions are tough. And so what I have found too is a great way to answer those questions is to ask the child. Uh, I was a communication major in college and had a fantastic public speaking professor. And he would say, whenever someone asks you a question about 80 to 90% of the time, they already have the answer they want to know if you do. So don't embarrass yourself. Like just say, I don't know. That's such a great question. Let me circle back up with you. Or my research didn't cover that. There's like lots of ways to be truthful and to honor that question. And I have found that to be particularly true for kids and they want you to sit with them in it. And it's okay to just ask them back. And it's okay to also say, gosh, I don't know. What a great question. I mean, what do you think? Like, let's pray about that together and see if we get an answer. And usually they're very happy with that. I mean, 
every once in a while you have someone who says, well, that's why I asked you. <laughs> and so that happens too. But to engage that dialogue, I think not only helps to answer the question, but I think it gives space to teach kids that it's okay to ask questions in church, which a lot of us as adults really need to learn to feel comfortable with too. You know, the, the few times that I have um, engaged children, I, I get in, I'm very intimidated by a room of children when I try to teach a lesson, mostly because I, I don't know how to, whatever. I, I'm not good at that. But the, the part that intimidates me the most, I think, or the part that I, that I dread the most about kids is, is not the questions that they ask um, or, or how to answer them, it's, it's what are their parents going to think of the answer that I gave? Right. So like, you know, am I going to go too far? Am I going to, am I going to say something that their parents won't like? And then I have to deal with that. I, I I guess in the back of my head, I always have parents as, as the, um, as the true audience of the lesson that I'm giving, which probably is not a good way to approach it, but. uh, No, I think that's a really good point, James. And, And in fairness, I'll tell you, I often encounter the same piece is, I had a really great seminary professor who said that as we, I don't remember what the question was we asked, which was pretty early on in our seminary career. And, and uh, she also paused and we said, what are we missing? And she said, I don't know how much I can tell you because of the current circumstances. And of course, you know, it leveled all of us. We were like everything, you have to tell us everything, but it's, it's true. And I come back to that circumstance a lot is what is okay space wise and what is age appropriate for our kids too. Because I want to be the truth teller that when they do get to be 18 or 28 or 58, they don't think I had a children's minister one time that wouldn't answer that question. So I try to give some space and I also encourage them to go read the stories with their families because, you know, the reality is even if you come an awful lot to Sunday morning church, at the most I can have 52 hours with you to influence you. You as a parent have so much more time. So I only see myself and our team as partners for parents to be to provide resources and to help open that conversation whether it be about biblical studies or our wonderfully made course about human bodies is we're here to partner and support you but there's no way we can be the influencers of spirituality as much as you are that is part of towing the denominational line and of understanding what it means to be united methodist Mm -hmm. is that there are certain things we're going to teach in children's ministries that pursue that vein of theology. And so I would expect to hear from James when my kid asks him a question, whatever toes the United Methodist line right, yeah. knows what that is and he knows what it isn't. Mm-hmm. In a room full of grownups, if you want to pull in everything and go all over the place, great. Right. But for kids, for teenagers, I expect you to give the United Methodist answer. And if I was going to a Southern Baptist church, I'd expect the Southern Baptist answer. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and when we talk about specific things too, like baptism or the sacraments, like we, when we provide that information for families, we will always link them in to what the church is. When we talk about communion with kids, we always let parents know when you're deciding when your child is ready, this is what Methodists say about that. Yeah. So we try to pull on those resources as well. So, and again, giving that ownership and value back to our families that they feel like, and that's been a unique part of this quarantine time too, right? Is like for 60 plus days, we had a daily resource that went out to our families of different fun things to do and also different biblical stories or songs or different ways to engage. And some people have really enjoyed that. And I think some people have also felt like, oh, you know, this is too much for me. I have also had a grandparent that reached out to me and said, 
thank you so much for providing this because I can help with homework, but this part I don't know as well. So the spiritual education of my children, that discipleship element, a Christian education, I don't have everything that I want to have for that. And so I hope that this time is a time that parents are feeling more empowered and resourced and that they don't come away like, ah, oh, we can't wait to, you know, get rid of this part again, but that they feel like they're part of that journey with us. And so that they are able to find some of those resources too, and they can draw on those when, when we're not around to help answer questions. And it sounds like to me that uh, the resourcing that you're doing for families and, and kind of throwing it back to the family like that uh, in, in a certain sense is maybe a really powerful way to, to reinforce that idea that our families are the ones that really shape us, but that you're not just throwing it back to the families and say, all right, good luck, uh, but resourcing them. That's, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. I mean, I, I do feel like, and, and maybe this is an interesting part of my own story to share is I didn't grow up in church. And so I had a very, um, very positive role model in my parents that I don't really know all the story, but they did not have a good experience in church and they just, it wasn't for them. And so, but my dad was in particular so interested and he very much modeled the idea of asking questions. And so when I was in high school, my parents, we did not live close. We lived about 45 minutes away from our schools. And that's a whole story for another day when you're bored and have insomnia. But my parents were always very willing to, if I want to go to church with somebody, they would get in the car and they would take me and it didn't matter how far away it was or anything else. And so I got really interested in high school of going to youth group programs, but I wanted a deeper level. And I remember being very embarrassed one night with a really good friend. We were, you know, both in a twin bed, lights are down, you know, it's a sleepover. And I asked her about baptism because someone in their church had been baptized. And I was like, why, why do you do that? And she couldn't really answer me. And then I got really uncomfortable and, you know, decided, well, maybe this isn't for me. And through a series of other events, um, really kind of came back around to finding that community. And really in college is when I found that community of friends that really, I thought this is where I belong. Um, you know, but my parents sort of felt like I'd fallen off the back of the truck or something when I decided that I was going to go to seminary and that that's what I wanted to do. So it, it's interesting how I got here. I had a very different experience, but I think that idea that my parents taught me to question and to ask for things and search for things, as Barbara Brown Taylor would call a detective of divinity, like how do you find those things? And it would thrill me in seminary if I could find something that my professor didn't know or didn't point out, like a connection that I could find or make. And even for my fourth and fifth graders now, though we've done a little bit less this year, we've had stickers since I started that say Detective of Divinity on them. And I thought they might think they were kind of, you know, silly and they wouldn't like them, but it's been a pretty big hit because you have to earn them and you have, you earn them by asking a really good question or answering something that was more than just, you know, it, it, it's definitely an earned opportunity to get those, to just recognize that it's okay to ask questions and to explore those stories on a little deeper level than maybe we've been invited to do before in other places. Really helpful to hear that you didn't grow up in the church the same way. I think a lot of the staff members did grow up going to church all the time. And 
making sure that we're conscientious of what resources we're making available to the congregation who may not have grown up in the church and don't have a point of reference for what children's ministry looks like or what vacation Bible school looks like and being able to equip them to feel comfortable modeling for their kids and it not just being, um, not just being dropped off for a program, but, but it becomes more all encompassing. Um, that is really great. A really great approach. Well, thank you very much. We need, we need these, the, we need these detective of divinity stickers for us in the adult discipleship program. Nick, <laughs> Nick, I'd give you a detective. I'd give you a detective of divinity. Thank sticker. you. I would appreciate that sticker. That's right. Is it, well, you, it makes me. It makes Arthur me think too. What? What's the sticker look like? I'm thinking um, like materials. Oh, he wants a badge. He wants a badge. Is it shiny? He wants, like a permanent thing. Yeah, he to wants. Wear? Yeah, we, yeah, we're gonna have to get him like a metal badge that he, he can fold out. I really need a lapel pin version. Yes. Yeah, like keep <laughs> on Sunday morning. Subtle. Yeah, I like that. Sorry, I'm I'm going back to the old royal ambassadors badge, James. Do you remember those? <laughs> I do. I do. I, uh, the the embarrassment. Uh, issues where there's this level of I don't want to ask a question. This is the the adults. This is not even with yeah. the with the kids. Uh, that uh, there's an embarrassment I, that they don't want to ask a question because asking the question you know implies that they didn't already know, and it might be something real simple, but they don't even know if it's a simple or complex thing because they don't know. Uh, and, and so there's there's this embarrassment to even ask questions or to admit that uh, they don't know something that that may or may not be complex, may or may not be simple. Um, I don't know how we, I don't know how you incentivize uh, adults to ask those kinds of questions, but um, uh, yeah. See, and I it's feel... not unique to Northside, you know, I mean, I've found right. that to be yeah. in other spaces with other friends in faith is they just, oh, you know, I don't want to do that. And, and, and when I think about sitting in a classroom where I am popping in to check on a volunteer the anxiety level of our adults is is generally much higher than the kids. The kids don't have that. They are like they'll ask you anything, yeah. and the literally the parents, literally anything. Yeah, literally anything. related or not. Just I, think, <laughs> I think that is one of the strengths of doing a podcast like this is that there's an opportunity here to consume information on your own time, so mm -hmm. that if somebody wants to learn more, they can learn more, and they don't have to put their hand up in the room and ask the question. Um, this is a kind of a format that gives you an opportunity to learn and, you know, if we're teaching anything. Brandy, you brought up that you, you were not raised in the church in, in the, in the way that some of us have been. And that, that kind of transitions me to, to another thing that I would like to talk about as we talk about children's ministry today. And, and children in church, um, kind of our own experience is what I was going to talk about. Like, our, what was our own experience? Nick and I have had several conversations about growing up in the church. And I think Nick and I might be on the other end of the spectrum from where you were talking about. So uh, I, I was I was raised in a, in a church uh, from the day I was born. Uh, and even before that, my, 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 my congregation would want you to know. Uh, and um, it, it was funny as I, so I, I was immersed in scripture. I was, I was reading the Bible when I was three years old. I was having memory verses when I was like three. Uh, I remember the first Bible that my grandmother gave me, and I remember the verses that she had marked out for me. 
Um, but I wasn't encouraged to ask questions like that. Like it wasn't until I was in, you know, college that I really kind of had to almost dismantle everything and put it all back together so that I could make sense of it. Um, Nick, I don't know. What was your experience growing up in the church? Um, I, yeah, in it from the beginning. And if that place was open, man, we were there Sunday yeah. morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, there's a special event. My grandparents served, cooked and served the Wednesday night dinner. Granddaddy was a deacon. Dad was a deacon. Like we were there and we were in it. Bible drills, RAs, GA, like everything, all the friends, whole family went to the same church, like in it. Do you, do you um, have any memories of um, the children's ministry programs that you were a part of or the people that were a part of it? Like, do you remember your Sunday school teachers? Do you remember your... One of the earliest ones is actually, I, I would say, um, early elementary school, there was a woman that would lead like a small group worship children's church style thing and give uh, vitamin C as rewards. That was great, was vitamin C. <laughs> Love it. Was that a reward or was she just trying to protect herself from, you know... <laughs> I, I'm sure there were multiple meanings, but she was also <laughs> the woman. See, this is the kind of stuff that you soak up as a kid and it just sticks with you yeah. for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, now, this was a Baptist church. And so uh, if we did not say in Jesus name, amen, then the prayer bounced off the ceiling. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember that. Have to say in Jesus name or else it doesn't actually work. Well, and I will share, I do actually have one story from being a kid that was really influential for me. Um, if you know me, you will know that I very rarely throw up. This has a point. And <laughs> oh, we don't know you that well. You heard it here uh -huh. first, folks. Yeah. I, I will beg, borrow, <laughs> and steal. I will beg, borrow, and steal to not throw up. And so from the time this happened to me, which was in first grade, till the time I was a senior in high school, I didn't throw up. So John and I have been married 20-something years. I've thrown up one time. So, you know, it, I, just, I just don't. And so first grade, I'm riding the bus home from school. And prior to this story, and the reason it's important is because in my little neighborhood, and this is sort of creepy now, it was probably creepy then, but there was this big blue school bus that would come around on Sundays and pick up kids and take them to this little church. It was called the Joy Bus. He'd sing songs, it was super fun. And if you went eight million times in a row, you got a Bible, okay? Not a vitamin C, you got a Bible. And so I was on my last night to go and you know where the story's going. I ride the school bus home. I throw up all over the bus. My sister, a couple years older than me, like has to take care of me, get me off the bus. So my mom calls the church and she's like, oh, Randy's really sick and she's not going to make it tonight. Like, is there a way that she can make up this one? Because I, I really felt like I'd been a billion times. I don't know. It's probably 10. But And whoever she talked to said that I'd have to start the whole thing over, that oh, they wouldn't, wouldn't honor that. And so I never went on the joy bus again. I never went back to church, but my mom took me to Belk in downtown Ottawa and bought me a Bible that I still have to this day. And, you know, it wasn't even a kid's Bible because those weren't a thing, but it had like four pictures in it. And those pictures, I thought they were so beautiful. And even now when I teach or read those stories, I still think about those yeah. couple of visual images. So, the, you know, and, and when I look back now, whoever the poor person was that answered the phone, they they may not have even known the answer, but I've held on to that all this time and so did my mom that they you know, wouldn't let me do that. But the way that we behave toward kids matters because they yeah. do, there are those things that get stuck, whether it's the vitamin C or 
you got to come 8 million more times to get your Bible or whatever it is. And it may not have been even the way it was meant to be, but it does get stuck, those certain things that they take away. So our role is important in the way that we, we disciple these little ones. So Absolutely. And you talk about the, the images uh, in your Bible that, that still kind of come to you as you read those stories. Man, I, 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 remember, my, I remember our children's Bible uh, that had those images. And some of those images are not, they're not accurate to the text or to the, you know, they're, they're very much filtered through a, a, a contemporary worldview. Um, but the images that we show our kids, you know, and, and the, yeah. the visuals and stuff, that stuff is going to be with them for the rest of their life. Um, True. That's not stuff that we oftentimes think about. Yeah. I've got that illustrated Bible I got as a kid. Those are the, that's what I think of. Definitely. Tower of Babel, Noah's Ark, mm-hmm. white Jesus. That's what white I think Jesus. of. Yeah. Well, the Friends with God Bible that we use downstairs that we have enjoyed so much for our rising kindergartners, but we use it for really most of our elementary, even our fourth and fifth graders will use it sometimes when we have it in certain, although it's a little too young for them. But one of the things that that drew us to that is like, this seems like such a minor thing because it is hard to find accurate, really good artwork. But at least in this Bible, like, the different Marys have different hair color. Like it's not just like one Mary that we stick in there. And so there's some subtleties like that. It could be better, but I have really enjoyed the artwork in some of those because I do think it portrays a little bit of a different look. We could do better at those things. Yeah. But we're paying attention to those things. And I think more resources are coming available to be able to pay attention to that differently than maybe we've done in the past. And I mean, we as a church, like as a collective larger church than we've, we've, been able to resource before. So Jay, one of the ways you were going, you said that you felt like there was not really much room for questions in your upbringing. Um, yeah, I think I did have the opportunity to ask questions, but there was a very clear right answer. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's mm. what I, oh, I think, I think that had the same Fair. experience. Yeah. I, I remember asking my grandmother or oh, it might've been my grandfather. I was like 10 or 11 years old. And I asked the question, like, why would, um, why would, why would there be a hell? Like, why that doesn't make any sense to me. Like I was like, it doesn't make any sense to me that, that somebody would burn forever in this place, you know, no matter what they did, like, it doesn't make any sense if they were, if they lived to be a hundred and they were the most evil person on the planet, like burning for an eternity doesn't make any sense to me. And I remember it must've been my grandmother. I remember the answer just being very sweet, very, very, very sweet, very, the language, very sweet. And, and just answer being something to the effect of, um, uh, well, we, we're not designed to know everything, you know, uh, <laughs> right. Right. we just can't understand the infinite wisdom of God. And I, and I, I thought to myself, even then, like, no, that's not going to work. That's not a good answer. Right. So as we kind of shift to the next thing that I want to talk about today, as we talk about important children's ministry is for the formation of a disciple. Obviously, somebody can come to Christ well after being a child, and they can come to know Christ in a very deep and profound way and and as good as anyone else can. And they can learn the stuff they need to learn. But the kind of, we were talking about the images, and we're talking about the ways that we treat children. The things that we learn behaviorally, scripturally, spiritually emotionally psychologically the things that we learn when we're kids have they have they're first in line when we when we have responses to the world the things that come first in line in our mind and in our heart are the things we learn first Mm 
we we may be able to set them aside uh, eventually. But how important do you guys think it is for those things that be first in line to be Christian things, to be discipleship kinds of things? How important is children's ministry to the formation of a disciple? Okay, so there's two things about this. One is that this is absolutely essential to why we need other adults involved in volunteering with our kids. It's our responsibility. Like it's, it's part of our biblical vow is that we're going to take care of these kids. And, and a lot of times I think that people are like, oh, you know, I need a break from my littles, but I'm going to be more concerned about them when they get to middle school and high school. Like Nate and I've had this conversation too, right? Is that this whole idea of like, oh, you know, that anxiety that maybe families get, particularly when I was in a Baptist church, like, is my kid going to get baptized before they go away to college? You know, like that anxiety of, did I raise them well? Are they going to hold on, you know, let's give them a program that they can hold on to when they move away on their own. But, you know, as Esty and I often talk about, this is the time now to do that because it's absolutely monumental to what we say we value for these kids. And that's one reason we call our area the foundation is we're, we're building that together. The other thing that I think a lot of people don't understand about children's ministries is that, is that we are doing Christian education. And, you know, we had a survey maybe two years ago, and I remember talking to Nick about it because he received the survey too. And we asked parents, like, what do you want from us downstairs? And, and you kind of mentioned this earlier too, James, in a different way, but one thing was we want them to learn about the Bible. One thing was we want them to learn how to live their lives like Jesus did, you know, more morality teaching and how do we live like Jesus? And then I think one of our other answers was I want to have fun fellowship and make friends. And maybe there was a fourth thing, but the last thing was I only see this as childcare. And I remember talking to Nick about it because I think Nick, you were surprised we had added that, but I needed to know because if that was a majority view is like, you know, I don't really care what you're doing downstairs. I just, I want to have time where I'm worshiping with my husband, my wife, like I, with my grandparents, whatever, but I need a break from my kids and I, I just want childcare. And, and certainly I feel like there are days that, that parents do feel that way. Like I just need a break and I need some time to be away, but we want people to know too, that we are doing Christian education pieces and that we do have those hopes and goals. And, Fortunately, our survey did respond back with pretty 50-50 results with that they wanted their kids to learn about the Bible and how to live like Jesus. So I was like, good. I, at least I feel like we're heading in the right direction with that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure when I answered that one, I put the Bible, the Bible, and the Bible as <laughs> my three options because that is... <laughs> Get that down. <laughs> that was good. I do remember you saying that. That's true. So... But it, it was insightful because, you know, we do occasionally have that situation where somebody is, especially with our really littles, is like, I just need a break. And that's certainly understandable and something that we can be a part of. But we also hope by the time they leave, they've, they've had some goldfish and little Jesus in their lives. So that's our hope.